I'm super happy. Are you happy? Welcome to the BU Find Happy Podcast. Here you'll find tips and tricks to inspire you on your way to happiness, to live a courageous life of authenticity, and learn how to speak your truth with grace. I'm Michaela Johnson, and welcome to our podcast. Marilee, thank you so much uh, for coming on today onto the BU Find Happy podcast. I know that we're going to kind of touch on the elderly population of our society today. And I'm really excited about that because um, I can honestly say uh, this is definitely not um, an area that we've really touched on on this podcast. Um, you know, we talk a lot about health and spirituality and finding your voice and being authentic and all sorts of stuff. But um, but this, but this sensitive topic has not really been one that's been addressed. I'm really looking forward to having you share uh, on this topic. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about you and how, how you've gotten involved in, in this and what you're doing? <laughs> well, it's not really so much uh, about elderly care. It's really about when someone needs care that they look at the option of receiving care at home. So I started in home care in 1981. So I've been a many decades in the industry and the last three years specifically, um, I've been running a podcast called Help Choose Home, which really is educating people about the options that are available for care. Um, it's just a, a passion and a love that I've had now for almost 40 years, 39 years. And, um, you know, I'm just excited about the opportunities that people can find care at home. Um, absolutely. And, you know, I think it's just one of those things that, uh, that we kind of like forget about until it's something we have to deal with. Well, actually now, um, because of the COVID-19, more people are searching for care at home and finding care at home and choosing to leave settings where they are with people, lots of people and coming back home to a, a more safe setting. So, um, uh, one minor positive outcome from what's happening in our society right now. You know, my very first question is about that, ironically. Um, and I hesitated for a long time to kind of go too far down the conversation of COVID, COVID rabbit hole on this podcast, because not like I was in denial, but just that I didn't want to contribute to kind of some of the fear-based um, tactics that I was seeing in the mainstream mm -hmm. media. And, um, but now I do, I, I am having kind of more open dialogue about this topic. And, um, and I do find that there have been a tremendous amount of COVID silver linings, um, a lot of good things that have come from this crisis in this, in this pan pandemic, if you want to call it that. Uh, and so my biggest question for you is how, what what about all of this kind of stuff that we're seeing with the nursing facilities and that kind of stuff and how it's affecting people um 
what are you finding on that front and how has this contributed to your business or taken away from your business? Uh, it's the, the need for home care and the demand for home care has really increased. The, I think some undisputed facts about the uh, COVID are it spreads with people to people contact. And if you're, um, if you're in a setting where people are enclosed with each other, then there is more transmission of the disease. So those um, just simple facts mean that you are safer if you are in a setting where you're not exposed to other people um, on a regular basis in close proximity. So the lots of people who are looking at uh, how do they live the rest of their life if they've become frail or um, are disabled, then where are they going to live the rest of their life? And right now, a lot of them are choosing home uh, that would not have done so previously. Um, Some facilities are actually sending people home if they have loved ones or relatives that can care for them. And the home care industry, which my business Core Cube supports, uh, we are finding, particularly the long-term non-medical in-home care industry, that industry is thriving. And uh, the positives are that prior to COVID, it was really difficult to find people to work. And now because family members are home and not working and because other uh, like paying jobs um, that like in the restaurant industry, um, in the fast food industry, those people now are choosing to go into home care uh, really as a profession because their source of income has slow down. So it, it's there's some silver linings. Um, and then the people, of course, who are receiving the care at home are really benefiting from multi-generational <laughs> activities and, um, you know, this uh, comfort and safety at home that they would not have had previously. Wow. Yeah, that's and that's that's a powerful positive positive fact. <laughs> and I like that. Um, I think that. Uh, one of the things that I've been hearing and, and it's been disheartening though, is about how many elders have been kind of left alone. Um, and then, you know, you see something like the VMAs happening and I think that's really unfair to our elders that they've been, you know, that, that, this, that they, that they're, the people have been told to stay away from them, um, you know, because you could get them sick or they could die or, or that sort of thing. Um, what are you seeing in that way? Like, like how do people respond to that? I mean, I, I, for one can understand the fear of not wanting to, as a younger person, um, you know, get grandma and grandpa sick or something like that. I can, I can relate to that fear, but then I also see this kind of complete and utter contradiction, um, in, in the news and things like that. What do you think about that? Well, you know, isolation has always been an issue for older people, people who's have lost loved ones and family perhaps doesn't live close, but these, um, the restrictions, I mean, I'm 73 years old and my husband is 85 and we had, we moved to Asheville, North Carolina because we have um, grandchildren here. We have four grandchildren here, um, ages five to 13. And um, they certainly are not social distancing the way that they should, but we have created a way to be with them where we're not 
endangering ourselves. So we have a lot of activities outside and we do as much as we can outside. And we just, um, we've altered our behavior, but we are still able to to see those great kids and at least to, to watch them. We're, we're not doing a lot of hugging and uh <laughs> you know re- sitting on the lap reading kind of stuff but um but w- we are able to participate um i think the social isolation though is an issue for older people in general and um with people who are just stuck at home and not making any effort to try to alter their life so that they can have other people in it um you know it's possible to do that, to alter your life, stay safe, and still see people. So I think it's um, this confusion about what's safe, what's not safe. Is it a virus? Is it not? You know, all of the the <laughs> news that seems to be contradictory. I just think you have to focus on what's in your best interest and how do you create your space where you feel safe, but where you're able to bring other people into it. And I do think that's possible. Um, and just out of curiosity, are you and your husband afraid? Afraid? Yeah, afraid of of getting sick. I mean, where are you guys at with that? Being the, being the age that you guys are. Well, um, we're. I wouldn't say afraid, but I would say we certainly are following and have since um, March, I believe, uh, CDC guidelines. So we, we wear masks when we go out, we have limited our trips places. I mean, I go to the grocery store once a week now, instead of almost was going daily (laughs) prior to this. Um, we have not traveled at all. And prior to this, we were traveling, but, um, I've also had, uh, birthday parties for the the little kids. I've had two birthday parties. We celebrated Father's Day. Actually, for Father's Day, we um, hired a three-piece combo and had them play on the porch so we could have live music. And it honestly felt like we were out, you know, out someplace, not at home. So um, I wouldn't say that we're afraid, but I would say that we are being wise and cautious and um, and we'll continue to do so because neither one of us uh, wants to take the chance of having um, something terrible happen to us. So we're doing the best we can. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think that I think that that's uh, that's that's been kind of the hardest part of all of this is is really seeing that because the reality is, um, regardless of kind of what I feel about. Uh, COVID as it pertains to other illnesses, it is, it is taking the lives of, of the elderly and it is, uh, and taking the lives of others too. Um, people with, you know, pre-existing conditions and things like that. So, I mean, it really has been kind of a wake up call, I think, um, as a society in general. So talk to me a little bit about, uh, you know, just why you're so passionate about healthcare at home. The the main reason is I've experienced it. My my first business was a care at home business, and um, and then since uh, 1998 I sold that business, and in 1998 till now we've been supporting uh, care at home in an uh, industry. So from a marketing standpoint, we we work with with people to do that. But what I found when I had my home health agency and also working with other home health agencies around the country is that 
the education component is the most important thing. So we always educated instead of sold when I had my business. And we do the same thing with our clients around the country because unfortunately people don't think about um, having a disability or having a frailty. So oftentimes when it happens, I mean, a good example is someone goes in the hospital, has an operation, and but the, the, no one really talks to you about what condition you're going to be in when you come out of the hospital. So, so oftentimes that need for care presents itself sort of unexpectedly. And what we find is that no one looks to find out, well, what what are my options and what could I do if something were to happen? They wait until it happens and then they start looking for options. So being able to answer people's questions, give them good, solid information and help and support is really what sells care in the home. Uh, we have a very complicated system in America for care. There really isn't a system. It's a it's fragmented. It is based on multiple payers. There there really isn't a safety net. So when someone has a care need, they really are hungry for information. And oftentimes, it's easier for the health professional to care for someone in a facility as opposed to home because home could be close or home could be in a rural setting where it's really difficult to get to. So people just haven't chosen home, the professionals, the discharge planners, the referral source network in the past because of an inconvenience and because of payment mechanisms. But I do see that changing. So I'm excited about that. Some of the actual Medicare Advantage plans are covering a variety of different services at home, just stuck their toe in the water to do it, but they're doing it. And as I said, through this pandemic, we are really seeing people choose to stay at home and choose to have creative care at home. There's even some pretty serious, skilled kinds of services being conducted in the home now um, under doctor's supervision or uh, nurse practitioner supervision. And um, it's actually having really good outcomes as long as you don't have a hurricane in the middle of it or you know a wildfire something that that um that drives you out but that would be the same if you were in a, a congregate facility so it's um it's really opening up people's minds and it's also opening up the third party reimbursement um folks to look at um care at home it is the lowest cost option and um everyone always wants to save money Um, and so, so what about, uh, what about like people who maybe don't feel that they have, uh, and you know, just as you were talking, I was thinking about how kind of, how far our, uh, you know, societal structure has come in the way of, you know, we used to live in small communities and cared for the elderly until the final days they were revered, um, they're, they're, you know, their insight and their wisdom was shared and told in campfire stories and same goes for, for raising the kids. And I can tell you like as a mom who's now 
uh, you know, kind I've, I've chosen to homeschool, uh, my child, not district learning, but full, full homeschooling for this year. And, um, you know, kind of like redefining, uh, everything that I was working on the way of a psychotherapist and, and the coaching program that I offer, just things like that to focus more on being a mom. Um, but you know, society had kind of taught me like, Hey, when, when you, when your son goes to kindergarten, even if you were a stay at home mom, now you go back to work. Um, and I was always a work at home mom working on books and, and seeing and clients, um, you know, kind of juggling that. Uh, but when my son went to kindergarten, I ramped up my life in, in the professional world. And now with everything with COVID, um, I'm pulling all that back and, you know, and unfortunately that's kind of the environment that, that we created. And here we, we, we now have this elderly population of people that, that maybe do need to be at home with their families. And yet their families are like, Hey, I don't live in a house big enough or I work and can't care for that. You know, like, I just feel like it's part of our creating it is, is part of the problem. Like we created this, this situation that we're in. What, what do you think about that? Well, we did definitely create it, you know, um, I mean, people, you, the people used to take their elderly loved ones in their home, as you said, I mean, it was not uncommon to have multi-generation, multi-generational families under one roof. Um, the distance is definitely an issue, but the, um, and, and as I said, a fragmented system, but, um, we, we, I couldn't, I shouldn't say there's a trend that I'm seeing now because um, in terms of families being more involved, but I'm definitely seeing a trend in terms of more people seeking home care and wanting home care. Um, there are lots of resources though now that uh, you mentioned isolation. There's lots of resources that combat that. There are lots of other resources the Meals on Wheels, for instance, that really was established to try to provide nutritional meals in, in people's homes. Um, and also the ancillary benefit to Meals on Wheels is this huge volunteer component. Uh, many people older themselves who are also delivering those meals and sometimes being the um, the only communication that someone might have during the day with an outside person. So... Um, as I said, we have a very convoluted system. I think that um, being being sequestered or quarantined or whatever you want to call it for as long as we is, it, as it is happening and it is continuing, I see people finding creative ways to communicate with each other. I mean, um, I belong to an art group. I'm actually president of the Art Alliance for Contemporary Glass. And it's, um, I'd say average age is probably 75. And since March, we have been doing weekly meetups on Zoom where we invite an artist or a gallerist or a museum curator to um, take us through, you know, educate us about something to do with art. And it has been amazing. We always have almost 100 people on the call. We do a few minutes ahead of time where we are chatting with each other. So it's a, a way we're actually forming community and building community and increasing our um, you know, filling, fulfilling that creative need uh, and sort of through the computer um, 
we're not touching anyone, but we are really having fun. And to watch everyone when they come together on Friday, the smiles on their faces and, you know, how happy they are to see everyone is um, it's a creative way to continue getting together and to build community and and it's safe so um and i have no doubt that when this is over we will get back together again but we'll have a better relationship because we've been meeting weekly which we never did before right yeah and and a lot of it is how you spin it for sure i mean for me i used to bring i have a i have a therapy dog um and i used to bring him to the nursing home um, and that's all been closed. They don't, they're not letting people in. Um, and that, and that's been kind of disheartening for me because, you know, I, I could see the effect that Walter had, um, when I would bring him into these facilities and, and what it would do. And, and I would be willing as a young person to still go and do those things, but I guess I could be a, you know, a carrier of it or, or, or whatever, um, without knowing it kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so well, you could that, bring that, Walter. You could bring Walter outside on the sidewalk and have a big sign and make everyone come wave at you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I could. I could. You know, one of the crazy things, just kind of going off on a tangent for a second, is uh, it was really amazing to see how. And I and I had a therapy dog before Walter. Her name was Rio. She was a retired racing greyhound, and I used to bring her to the hospital. So a little different, but. Um, it was incredible to see how he responded to people without me having to do a thing. And mm-hmm. I've seen this time and time again, even with kids and stuff. Um, I was at a book signing at Barnes and Noble and Folsom, um, last year. And, uh, he, there was a little teeny tiny girl who was so afraid of him. And, you know, I put him in a down position and then I put him in a lay position and I said to the to the mom, um, you know, if, if you'd like, you know, she can come, come over. And he literally went over on his back and like a full submission position, uh, to allow this child to have a positive experience with him. And it was so neat to see. I mean, I can't even, I I can't teach him that he knows that, you know what I mean? Like he knows Mm -hmm. how to respond. And I, I've seen it time and time again with the seniors too. He, he would always know when a senior was not comfortable with his presence mm-hmm. and he would take a total different approach. It was very interesting. They can, uh, I, I think I read in a Nat Geo magazine that they can, they have like a trillion scent receptors mm-hmm. and so they can pick up on the hormonal changes of your emotions, which is so incredible and so powerful. Um, and I, and I do think that animals could be a great resource for in-home care and things like that too. Yes, and the therapy animals are. Uh, there's even, uh, I just uh, talked with someone, I think it was in Houston or Dallas, I can't remember, but um, who has a horse, and he's been taking yep. his horse over. Now, yep. uh, and before COVID, he actually took that horse in the facility. Now he just has it outside. But um, yep. yes, you know, yeah, I, think- I actually became a, um, a pet assisted um therapy person and went through the Agala training and actually did a lot of equine assisted therapy in it. And it is incredible to see how much healing can come from those experiences and, and how intuitive, I mean, literally every other creature on earth is (laughs) (laughs) compared to humans and kind of everything that we've done. Um, 
Well, but at the core of it is really um, finding a connection with someone and having them feel comfortable. Um, and I think that's one of the things that the pets do. Uh, they definitely find that connection, but then it, it uh, presents sort of an easing of the situation so that someone, you know, you relax when you're comforted by a pet. So um, a, a lot of aging and healing has to do with how you feel and how, um, you know, sort of the external environment as well as the internal environment. So um, it's one thing COVID, I think, has made hard, but it's something that is workable if you understand it and you keep working at it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so talk to me about one of the most inspiring uh, clients that you've had. I think probably uh, I wouldn't, I guess inspiring might be a good word. My very first home care client was a woman who uh, we actually took on to do some sitting so her husband could uh, go out and have some, have a respite from the care. And so it was prior to my knowing anything about home care, we were doing various things for clients, but we were really not doing home care. And, um, and her husband died unexpectedly and suddenly and we inherited her so that was really the reason that I learned about Alzheimer's and dementia and we inherited her and she was our client for about 16 years before she died and she did die of Alzheimer's but in that 16 years I visited her regularly and she was the reason that I really decided that that was what I wanted to do was to be able to provide a safe, loving, comfortable environment for her, even though her caregiver was no longer with us. So um, it was an amazing transformative experience that lasted a long time. And I, I still think of her fondly. And I think that those connections and, and just that experience is what really it fills our bucket up too. I mean, I think often we think that um, we're just doing something for someone else, but really we get so much from that experience as well. Um, and, and so one, one kind of other thought that I have is uh, how do people know when it's time? Like, how, how, you know what I mean? Aside from like the obvious, like they're in final stages of cancer or something, how do people know when, when additional resources are needed? You know, I, it's, um, it, it's funny. Thank you for asking that question because generally the family thinks care is needed way before the person who needs care <laughs> admits that, uh, that they might need, right. some, need some care. I've, and it's different for different people. You know, if you, if you've met an 85 year old person, then you've met an 85 year old person. I mean, you can't extrapolate that person's capacities or abilities or functionality to anybody else. It's really specific to them. You know, what, what have they done in their life? What is their health? What is their mental state? Um, so the, um, I think that for each person, it is different, but you do know now something obvious for instance, you can't get out of bed <laughs> and you need someone to help you get out of bed. That's a pretty obvious thing. Um, hopefully people don't wait that long. But I'll tell you what usually happens is that someone goes into the hospital for um, some minor thing or maybe even a major thing. And 
when they come out of the hospital, they they need help. And that is oftentimes what it, what introduces people to home care because they have denied the fact that they need help for a long time and um, and then they really do. The other thing that happens is families who live at a distance might visit and find that their um, that their mother or father is uh, not able to care for their home, um, not paying the bills, not you know doing home repairs, um, not cleaning out the refrigerator so they have spoiled food in it. So I mean, some of those kinds of really obvious signs are also signs that someone might need might need some help. What to look for and, and, and things like that. Is there anything that you find? Um, in the way of particular, uh, like activities or things like that. Like I've seen, um, I've seen music, I've seen art, I've seen different things like that. I mean, is there anything that you find that is maybe alternative in the way of healthcare that helps? Well, there are, when the aging process is different for different people, but in order to maintain health, there really are a lot of factors that contribute. Creativity is one of them. Um, and definitely art and music are um, activities that really, you know, generate senses and, and stimulate your senses and, and make you make you feel happy. But there's also, um, you know, there's diet, there's exercise, there's spirituality. There's, there's a lot of factors that come together to make someone either well or not well. Um, and as someone becomes frail, because... I hate to mention this, but um, when we are born, we start to die. So you, the whole process we're living is always 100% going to end in death. So it, sometimes it's a sudden death and you, uh, you know, you're not expecting it. And other times your body is failing in a variety of different ways. So, um, so dealing with that time from frailty to the grave is really what I'm talking about when someone does need to uh, to make conscious efforts to maintain as healthy a lifestyle as possible. I mean, you can do exercises and there's plenty of them for sitting at a chair, you know, as long as you're moving, as long as you're, um, you know, lifting up things, as long as you're, and diet, the same thing, you know, trying to eat a healthy diet uh, choosing, actively choosing to eat something healthy for you as opposed to just having cookies all day long. Um, there's all those kinds of choices people make as they as they go from frailty to death. And it, it really depends on those choices as to how pleasant that time is between frailty and death. Yeah, that is uh, – that- that is an interesting thought, huh? It, like none of us is getting out of here alive, so no, <laughs> <laughs> we might as well make the most of it. Well, we it's don't kind talk of a about sad proposition, but it's true, you know. Well, it shouldn't be sad, and I think that's the thing. Um, the we we think of it as being sad. It's really sad, obviously, for the people who are left behind. It isn't sad for the person who's gone because they're dead, <laughs> and so so they're not sad, but. One of the, um, I think a, a life-changing interview that I did with a doctor named Dr. Tim Eric, um, he's a palliative care physician, and he, he talks with his patients about really thinking about how they want to live. He said, We've re, we have phrased the question wrong. We ask people, how do they want to die? What we really should be asking is, how do you want to live? 
So mm. how, you know, what? and if you think about how do you want to live, for instance, I want to live by my grandchildren. You know, I want to live someplace where I can walk outside and be in nature. I want to be able to walk outside and be in nature. So it's all of those those things, ways I've chosen to live, which um, which I think will extend my life and certainly make for a more pleasant life. But um, but and it's also thinking about it before you're at that point of where you don't really have any choices. Absolutely. I love that. And I think that's such a great point. Well, thank you. Thank you so much uh, for coming on today. How can people get in touch with you? Um, it's pretty easy. I'm uh, MerrilyOrsini.com is my website, and I also have a business website, Core Cubed. My podcast is Help Choose Home, and it's available anywhere you can find podcasts. And it really is very helpful information to people who uh, might need home care in the future and want to know more about it. Oh, thank you. And I'll definitely include that in the show notes as well. Thanks again, Marilee, for coming on. Thank you. It was a great pleasure to have you. Okay, take care. Uh This has been a BU Find Happy podcast. For more inspiration, check out the links.